Today, I want to replace my self-esteem with Christ-esteem. Would you work so powerfully through the word so that I can see who I am, not through the lens of what people in this world think about me, my family, my friends, or coworkers, but let me see me through the lens that you see me, through forgiveness, through an unfailing love. Lord, work powerfully through this message. Speak peace to my heart and lift me up once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Your friends, it is not a great week to be this man. Let me pull him up. Where are my Bears fans in the house of God? It is not a great week to be Brian Erlacher, is it? Maybe you've heard why. If you haven't heard why, let me update you. It seems like Brian Erlacher will not end his career as a bear. He was in the midst of negotiations where he threw out about $11 million for two years, and the Bears came back with $2 million for one year. Must have taken something, but Brian went down to $3.5 million for that one year. But the Bears didn't budge. They didn't call, and it seems they didn't care about what Brian Urlacher thought about it. And then I was listening to uh, Chicagoans on a radio show. Uh, people were calling in and they wanted to say, are you for the Bears or are you for Brian Urlacher? Which in my mind is a dumb distinction. You can be for the Bears and for Brian Urlacher, but whatever, he creates some drama. And so I heard people call in for the Bears saying all sorts of things about Brian Urlacher. I'm for the Bears. Because in Bourbon A at training camp, my child was waving and he did not wave back. Bears. I'm for the Bears because after the surgery, he has lost a step. I'm for the Bears because he's old. Ouch, ouch, and ouch, right? Can you imagine if you were Brian Urlacher hearing all this? That's not a good week to be Brian Urlacher. And, and what I come upon is a profound thought, and okay, maybe it's not so profound. You don't have to write this on a post it note, but this is true that no one likes being disliked. No one. Even the people who say, you know, I like being the rebel, I like being in my own circle, they're lying most of the time. No one likes being disliked. In fact, I have such a hard time being disliked that I will do anything, seemingly, sometimes, to gain approval and acceptance of those around me. This might even happen when I'm preaching. I'm basically saying, like me, that illustration, right? Like me, like me, like me, like me. But I'm sure you guys could never relate to this because you aren't swayed by the opinions and the approval and the acceptance of others, right? Well, I have a test for you. I have a test for you this morning to see whether you are living for the approval of those around you. And, and the test is composed of three questions. Are you ready for it? To see if you too might be swayed by approval. So let's get into it. Here's the test. First question. Boom. You occasionally or often worry about what others think. You occasionally or often worry about what others think. This can happen when you're dressing yourself. If you have ever put on more than three outfits to go out for a date or anything else, you probably are concerned about what people think about you. If you've ever done the shoe game where you ask your husband, is it this shoe or is it this shoe? You probably, I'm not, she doesn't do it. She's great. She's great. So I have to be cautious where I look in the, yo, uh, so, so, (laughs) this shoe, sorry, sorry about that. Um, This can happen in social media. Social media. If you've ever posted a picture or a status and then counted the seconds or minutes until someone liked it, 
you might be working for the approval of others, right? Ready for the next one? Second one. You are oftenly oversensitive, often overly sensitive. And this means that someone can say, or a hundred people can say great things about something you've done, but it's that one, that one professor, that one negative comment that you can't get out of your head and derails the whole thing for you and you just can't get over it. This might happen if you have interpreted you've been slighted when someone did not mean that or, or try to do that, but you interpret that because there, there is some oversensitivity going on, right? The final one, and we'll be done. You have a hard time saying no. Someone asks you to do something, and inwardly, you know your schedule, you know yourself, everything is wrong about it. Your whole body is screaming, no, this cannot happen. And yet you respond saying, sure, sure, that sounds good. Do that. All right, next week, all right. Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about today? Do you have a hard time? Do you live for the approval of others? I think this is common territory, isn't it? And can we just clear the air about this subject? I'm going to clear the air for something that you know internally, and I've learned internally too. This is a bottom line, and it's, it's kind of it's hard, but it's true. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to like you. Right? And you're like, duh. Because you know, you've had classmates who didn't like you. You had coworkers who didn't like you. I quit a job once, and everyone was signing my, my work cup. And my boss said, you know, I'm not sure I liked or knew you too much, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and, and everyone else is like, have a great summer, and yeah, it was great. And I'm like, huh. But he knew what we were considering today. He was at least being honest. Not everyone's going to like you. All right. And so we're in this third week of our series, Sympathizing Savior. And today we get to see uh, Jesus being disliked. In fact, I would say you you deal with things, but but Jesus is going to deal with some things that is on a whole nother level when it comes to being disliked. We're following Jesus on his way to the cross through the account written by Matthew, a disciple. And he suffers so much on his way, physical abuse and emotional abuse today. And today is probably the height of that emotional abuse. If you want to see what I'm talking about, let's get into it. Let's get into it from Matthew chapter 27. If I should follow along the middle of page 7. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was, here's a typo, it's Barabbas, it's not Jesus. They had a well-known prisoner named Barabbas. Uh, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of these do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest or envy that they had handed handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. 
Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I then do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Now, people have said stuff to me and called things, but I'm not sure I've ever had people calling for my death. People haven't liked me, but I'm not sure people have put me on the same level as Barabbas. Barabbas, who we know from other accounts, was a murderer, a known villain, just a terrorist of sorts. And yet that's where Jesus is at today, dealing with being disliked. And today I think we can learn a lot from that and learn how we too can deal with being disliked. So let's get into it. I have a a fondness for the metro system. Do we have any metro commuters in the house of God? I I like going downtown on the metro, Not, not too many commuters. And it's so funny that I have this story that when I first got here, it didn't go so well on the metro, and some of you may have heard this already. I was sitting in the metro with my family, and while I was there, someone let out a huge F-bomb. I think this is funny. It's a family-trained car, and I look around. What happens again? He lets out a huge F-bomb. Look around, kind of think it's strange, and well, this time I lock eyes with the guy. He sees me. At this point, he starts threatening me. He says he's going to do something with my grill and and not nice, pleasant things to me, and he's just going off. Well, until the train conductor comes in, and then I'm like, yes, I'm saved by the train conductor. Awesome. And he walks up to this guy who's been swearing, and, and he asks him what's going on. And then he's smart. He says, that guy over there pointing to me, who hasn't said a word, that guy is swearing at me and threatening me. What? What is going on here? And, and so I, I actually just, I take it. I'm like, yep, I did it. Let's go. And we get off. But, but I couldn't bear to be guilty. And so I had to explain myself to train conductor. What you need to know, I'm not sure what's going on with that gentleman over there, um, but something is, and I wasn't doing that, so just wanted you to know. And I had someone come in to the car with me to tell the conductor, I got your back. It wasn't this guy. Um, I want you to know it wasn't him. And I can't imagine not saying anything or stating my case. Especially if I was going to be punished. Like if they said there was a fine involved for this or that I could never go downtown Chicago again, uh, um, I would say that I didn't do it, right? Don't give me the punishment. I bring this up because I see Jesus. And Jesus is being falsely accused up and down all day. And what is miraculous, what is unexpected, what even amazes Pilate is how he reacts. Look at verse 12 through 14. What's what's Jesus doing? It says, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? All the things they're saying? And Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. And to me, this is craziness. Like Jesus' fate is in the palms of Pilate's hand. Jesus will now be condemned if he doesn't get out of this. And I think Pilate is chomping at the bit to let him go. Pilate is just looking for a reason, any reason, to release Jesus. And here's what we know about Pilate. Pilate already knows and thinks that Jesus is innocent. He says it. Don't know what crime he did. He thinks he's innocent. Secondly, his wife comes. He's swayed by his wife. This is a big deal. I got a dream. Hands off, please. If you want to listen to me, don't do anything with Jesus. Right? And so he's got that pressure on him. Right? 
Third, he comes to the crowd three times. We learned this from another gospel. Three times asking, do you really want Barabbas over Jesus? Are you, you know Barabbas, right? And so Pilate is chomping at the bit to release Jesus. Just give me anything. Just, just say something about these ridiculous charges because I know who you are. Just, just defend yourself. And at this point, I've played an interesting game. I, I play this game, which is kind of scary, which is the game, If I Were Jesus. That's a scary game, right? I'm not, I'm not Jesus. But if I were Jesus. Now, if I were Jesus and wanted to get out of this, I'd probably have a discussion with Pilate. I would use my almighty wisdom and say, oh, they're saying something about the temple. <laughs> you need to know I was never going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Um, I was actually talking about my body, that if you kill me, I'm going to raise from the dead. Maybe I wouldn't say that. That's confusing. But, okay, maybe I'd use my almighty power to convince Pilate. Okay, you have all the power in the world, and so maybe through dream sequencing, when, when Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? I would transport Pilate to the end of time, where every knee is bowed before me, including Pilate. Pilate could see his own face there. And then I'd show him the legions of angels singing my praises, and I would, I would show him the new heavens and the new earth, and then I'd take him back to earth and say, well, what do you think? You say king of the Jews, I say king of kings. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't do this, does he? And it's remarkable. And Pilate, who's a governor, who's heard every excuse in the book and knows good and bad and, and guilty and non-guilty, he is just amazed that he's not trying to win the approval of Pilate. That's craziness. And then Jesus is being hated by a whole crowd, and that must not feel good because he was completely human. He knows what it is like to be hated. And if Jesus sought the approval of the crowd, if I were Jesus, I think I could make a way to, for them to approve me and let me go. I would maybe say to the crowd, hey guys, you know what, the whole crucified chant, um, not really digging it. Um, Barabbas, come on, I'm, I'm a little better. Um, but the good news is I kind of own everything. Um, so if you just, if there's a number that makes this go away, um, that, that'd be great. A million? A million? Done. Done. Right? Just write it off, right? But this is profoundly ridiculous, too, because you know that to his core, Jesus is not in this moment living for the approval of a crowd, but he's living for the approval of someone else, which we'll talk about. Away from Jesus to us. Do we cave in to the approval? Do we cave in to pleasing people? Parents. Parents, have you ever had a situation when you know your child shouldn't have something, but you don't lay down the discipline, you don't tell them not to, you don't tell them what they should because you cannot bear them being mad at you. In the moment, you cannot bear their disapproval, and so you cave in. I've done it. Maybe it is as a teenager maybe as a young adult growing up, and you know what is socially acceptable to say and to do at school. You know the expectations of a party. You know the expectations on a date. And you're tempted to compromise what you know you should do for the sake of what you know people want you to do. The truth is, I believe we all are tempted with this idolatry called people-pleasing. At one point or another, it comes to us where we feel this urge to make those around us happy rather than doing what we know is right. 
And what I want you to know is that this is sin. It is sin to place the desires of others over the desires of God. And so back to Jesus. Jesus is not being approved en masse. He's got a 0% approval rating from the people, but he is approved by one. One who is there, one who knows what's going on and why Jesus is doing what he's doing, and that is his heavenly Father. And I believe Jesus can bear a whole crowd yelling crucify because he's filled up with the comfort of the words of the Father. That during this time, maybe Jesus is transported to his baptism or transfiguration when the Father said this about him. When the Father said, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with him and I want you to know that. And I believe Jesus can handle whatever dislike, whatever hate because he knows that comfort. And so he goes to the cross. Now friends in amazing love, here's where the nitty gritty comes. I don't know what people are calling you today. I don't know who's at school or at work saying what about you and not on your side, but I do know the Father's comfort. And I do know that because Jesus went the whole length to the cross, that those words of comfort now apply to you. Because we have been forgiven. Because we have been made right. And that the Father comes to us and he says to us, no matter what the world is saying, I want you to know you're my son, you're my daughter, with whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And come on now, the Bible is filled with these declarations of comfort and who we are. The Bible calls us his masterpiece, calls us heirs of salvation, calls us new creation, calls us more than conquerors, calls us whiter and washed, pure as snow, calls us so beautiful that we're his bride. Now, I don't know what everyone else is calling you, but when the Father is calling you that, only listen to the Father. Let his voice supersede the crowd. Because he does love you. And he does approve of you. And Jesus came into this world so we would be accepted by the great God who matters most of all. And I don't know about you, but I think it is way better. I think it is way better to live for the never-changing approval of the great God than to live for the ever-changing, fickle, here one day, gone the next, changing as the season's approval of anyone in your life right now. That's the bottom line. Do you agree? Will you leave this place not wondering what people thought about you today, but knowing what the Father said about you? I want you to know that when it comes to self-esteem, there's no better place to be found than to identify your worth, not based on what others think about you, but to identify your worth and your significance based on what Christ says about you, what the Father has declared over your life. That is much better living, my friends. And so as you leave today, I challenge you. I challenge you. I want you to be aware of something. As you leave today, be aware of this. That if you become obsessed with what people think about you, this is one of the quickest ways to forget about what God says about you. See, you've heard this today, and you know your Father approves of you. But I know what's going to happen during the week. During the week, someone is going to 
give you a, a glance or call you a name or call you lazy or incompetent. And, and the devil's going to work and he's going to try to mess with the spiritual goodness. And what you need to do in that moment is to say, my competence is in Christ. And even though I have weaknesses, I want you to know that his strength is made perfect even in my weakness. I'm all right. Moms, I want you to know that if someone gives you a stink eye because your child is unruly, don't let that diminish your significance. Because we know who we are with the Father. We're sinners and saints. And that's going to be the case. And we are forgiven and loved, and that stink eye does not diminish our significance one bit because we know what the Father said about us. We know we're forgiven and redeemed. Because, friends, I don't know what your week is like, but there will come times when you feel like Brian Urlacher. When people just don't like you. When people aren't on your side. And I challenge you to live for the never-changing approval of a father rather than live for the ever-changing approval of people. Would you pray with me and ask God to help us do this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess too often I've been insecure and that this source of insecurity is actually sometimes the names I call myself. Sometimes it is the names others have called me and their thoughts. Lord, help me to let your words carry exponentially more weight than anyone else's words. You have declared I am yours. You have declared I am loved through the cross of Jesus. And let me leave knowing that confidence. Thank you for Jesus, who is disliked and disapproved of, so I could be liked and approved of by you. Thank you for forgiveness. Let me live in the knowledge of your love this day and every day. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Please stand.